Just a little friendly reminder out there to all you listeners, make sure to subscribe to the National Land Realty Podcast. No matter what platform you use, there is a subscribe button. Make sure to click that. That's how we measure our success and measure the value that we bring to the table. Welcome to episode number 62 for the National Land Realty Podcast, where we discuss all things land. Our goal here is to inform, educate, and entertain those of you who own land or are interested in the buying and selling of land throughout the United States. My name is Mac Christian, and I am the Chief Marketing Officer here at National Land Realty. I'll be your host for this episode. IRS Tax Code 180 is an often overlooked part of the United States Tax Code. This tax code allows for the depreciation of excess fertility in farm soil, and it's something that should be considered by any rural landowner, especially buyers. Today, we're talking with an expert on the topic, Alec Bean. Alec Bean, in addition to being a land real estate agent, is the owner and operator of Agricultural Soil Management. Agricultural Soil Management, or ASM, helps landowners manage their soil and specializes in helping landowners navigate IRS Tax Code 180. So, if you're interested in something that could save you thousands of dollars, this episode is for you. Now sit back and enjoy. And I am sitting here with Alec Bean, and Alec, you have a specialized company and a specialized field that, that you are working with. In addition to, you know, I know that you work with real estate and stuff, um, but IRS tax code 180. And uh, tell me what that means to you and tell me how you started working with it. Thanks, Mac. I'm, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on here and talk about this. This is a piece of the tax code that every rural land buyer, specifically farmland buyer, should at the minimum be looking into because it can potentially save thousands of dollars in in taxes and 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 uh, offer something that is a depreciable asset to uh, an asset class that ju- doesn't generally have a lot of uh, depreciable qualities to it. So, um, really excited. Yeah. So tell me about tell me about your company and sort of how you got involved with it. Sure. So my company is Agricultural Soil Management, ASM. I've been the owner since 2016, purchased the business. Uh, Kind of funny story, really. I actually worked for this company when I was in college as an intern. And the owner kind of recognized that, uh, you know, this is something that I was uh, enjoyed and, and, um, had fun doing and he approached me actually. And, and we kind of worked out a, a, an arrangement, a unique arrangement to, to purchase his business. Uh, Don was his name. He started the business in the early eighties, focusing on soil testing and crop consultation. We're based in central Illinois, Champaign to be exact. And uh, we are the experts in soil testing and, agronomic consultation so we've been doing this over 40 years uh, the soil testing and just a couple of years ago one of my clients had reached out and asked if i had ever heard of irs section 180 and i i hadn't i i didn't know what it was he explained that 
land buyers are able to depreciate excess soil fertility. And uh, that got my gears kind of rolling. So I did some research, consulted with some CPA firms and attorneys, uh, did some further digging and and started conducting these reports for clients. And uh, it's, it's really been something that is very exciting for, for people to take advantage of. Yeah. And so the, the, the fundamental sort of backbone of this is that excess soil fertility can be labeled as a depreciable asset. Yes. That- so, oh, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I, I like that was it. I, uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. It's, it's crazy. Really. It's, uh, it's really unique. And IRS section 180, it allows a taxpayer engaged in the trade or business of farming to deduct expenses uh, expenses on the farm. Uh, primarily, this is in relation to fertilizer, lime, potash, and other materials. So this goes hand in hand with the depreciation of other farm assets like tile lines, buildings, fences, irrigation equipment, grain facilities. Uh, this is just another piece that that ties in there. And so how this works, if you want to just hop into that. Yeah, that, absolutely. Let's do, yeah, let's we, jump in because it's, it's, it's interesting. And, and so, I mean, the questions that people are going to have, obviously, is if if something is in excess, what decides the median? Um, how does somebody find out about getting soil testing, you know, things like that, like you know, what, kind of walk us through from, from a, from a high level view on how do you decide if something has excess soil fertility? Sure. So let's just start off by walking through how this, uh, how we do this. And I think that'll open up the door to how someone can take advantage of it. And, and if they qualify, there we go. So, so this is going to apply to land buyers, people that are engaged in, in, in buying. This is going to mostly be farmland. So, so a client purchases a piece of land, a farm, uh, a soil test is taken just like a normal. I mean, most of the time people are soil testing to determine nutrient levels. Anyway, those nutrient levels on the soil tests are then compared to what the the state's land grant university says is optimal for crop production. So in my case, I'm in Illinois, so I use the University of Illinois uh, optimal crop production values to determine these numbers. So what you do is you have a soil test and that says you have a certain amount of nutrients Per acre, uh, we are looking at phosphorus and potassium only. So it, the soil test says, okay, you have this level, and the University of Illinois says uh, this level is optimal for crop production. If your soil test values are above that optimal number, that excess amount is what we're we are using to determine if you have an excess amount, and we are applying a value to that excess amount. So we use the university, the university information and, and I use the university 
of the state in which the parcel is in. So if I'm doing a report in Illinois, I use University of Illinois. If I do Iowa, I use Iowa State, so on and so forth. So every state is going to have a little different. I take that excess number and I assign a value to that amount, to that nutrient load uh, using USDA values. So what's really safe about this is I'm using USDA numbers with quasi-governmental university information and marrying the two together. And that's what I believe makes this so safe. Right. So you're using so in, in taking that into context, state funded government grant universities who have done the research on soil composition and minimum requirements for fertility of soil. That's the sort of the basis that you're setting as overall, like this is your median. And then anything in excess to that is this excess soil fertility that you can deduct. Correct. Yes. So that that excess amount, it, the IRS doesn't consider a you know because you can't depreciate land right land that's the that's like the one downfall of investing in in land is is there's really not a lot of depreciable assets to it so the irs says once you achieve or you are in in excess of a certain amount of nutrients that does become a, a depreciable asset Sort of like, uh, you know, what you would see in in minerals or, you know, you'll see that in, in minerals being a depreciable asset or specifically, you know, a lot of people use oil as something that they can do that if they have oil on their land. Like you said, somewhat limited. Not everybody's going to find oil on their land. Right, exactly. And, and the folks in the timber industry do a, a very, there's a mm -hmm. similar method in the timber industry to depreciate value uh, of, of, of standing timber as well. So... A lot of neat things you can do with this. Yeah, yeah. So what's so what are some of the concerns that somebody would have coming into this? Because I mean, we just got out of a webinar where you're talking to a bunch of land agents about this same topic, and and immediately they start queuing up with questions that I'm sure, like you mentioned, you've are this is pretty much your everyday basis questions that you get from everybody. So what are the most common questions that you get asked, and what are the most common concerns? So I think really the most common concern is, am I mean, we should just talk about it, is, am I going to get audited? Is this going to yeah, trigger? Yeah, there, that's the one I think. <laughs> you know, I think that's on everybody's mind. And, and, and what I tell my clients is you and I are just as equal. We have just the equal likelihood of being audited. We have, we all have an equally likelihood audit chance of being audited. So if you have an, if you have major concerns of being audited, um, you know, I think this is not a risky, this is not a risky service by any means, but, uh, if you have the, if you do not have that tolerance for audit, then, then maybe this is not the right service. Right. So I think that's the the number one concern right there. Uh, and and again, what I come back to my my answer for concern of an audit is, again, I use the governmental agency information married up with quasi governmental agency information. And and the guidance I've always received from CPAs is this is this is part of the code and and we just need to 
show that all of our T's are crossed and our I's are dotted. And that's part of my service is providing a full report that I back up saying, this is what, in my opinion, my professional opinion as a certified crop advisor, this is what the excess fertility is worth. And so let's take, let's take that example that you gave where, you know, this is, this is primary benefit to a buyer. If, if I'm a buyer and I want to explore this option, what's, what sort of my process look like and what do I need to, what do I need to keep looking for as in, you know, you work out of Illinois and I'm, you know, I'm in Idaho. I'm probably not going to be working with you necessarily. So I would talk to who, and I would talk to them about what. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so far I have done, yes, I'm based in Illinois, but I've done reports all across the United States, Montana. So I could be working with you. Okay. So tell me how I work with you. Yeah, exactly. So, so first off you buy a piece of land, you buy a piece of farmland. The very first thing you need to do, there are two really important things. Number one, you need to have a soil test completed as close to the time of purchase as you possibly can. Now, the thing with the agriculture industry is we're very seasonal, seasonally dependent. So if you buy a piece of land this fall and you close in December, okay, and there's snow on the ground, the ground's frozen, it's it's okay, don't worry. We can go out there or you can have a soil testing company that you like to work with, collect samples in the spring, and you'll still be okay. So it just need, you need to have a soil test close to the time of purchase. The second incredibly important piece is do not apply fertilizer between the time you purchase the parcel and the time you have that soil test done. I've had a few situations where a client buys a piece of land they want to have my services they want to use my services. Unfortunately, their tenant got a mind of their own and spread fertilizer before they could have a soil test done. So if you have a tenant farmer, you need to make sure, make it very clear that we're doing something special here and you need to hold off on f- applying fertilizer before we can have a test done. And that happens. And it, it that case, it, it probably costs my client quite a bit of money. So, okay, so we have the soil test done. I get the soil test results. So my company, we we can do everything. We can go out, collect soil samples, do the analysis in our own in-house laboratory, uh, do the reporting on the back end. I can do it all. Now, again, we are in the Midwest. So geographically, logistically, we are kind of stuck. My crew, my independent crew is kind of stuck in the Midwest. Now I can coordinate Cruise other places in the United States and have a good network all across the United States. Or if you have another soil testing company you like to use, know, like, and trust, please, by all means, use them. So you either provide the soil test results to me or my firm takes care of the testing. So we have the test. I then say, okay, uh, let's just use Illinois again. For example, Illinois has the, the optimal crop nutrition values. And I take those values and I compare them to your soil test. 
If your soil test is above those optimal values, say, great. I let you know as a client, I say, okay, I think this is going to be worth pursuing. I do these consultations at no charge, by the way, if somebody has a soil test they want to provide to me, I'll, I can I take a look at them and say, yes, this is worth pursuing or not. So little piece there. Yeah. So I say, okay, you have this nutrient value above the optimal and this is a, probably about what it's going to be worth. Would you like to pursue a, a report? They say, yes. Okay. So I produce a report that states per acre, you have a certain amount of dollars that I am valuing at this or the, a certain amount of nutrients I'm valuing at this dollar amount. You take that report to your CPA, your CPA then applies that to your, your return, your annual return. That's the high level of it. And really it doesn't get much, uh, much more drilled down either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so in, and how does this work on a schedule? Because it's not typical, like it's, it's not like the amortization schedule that you'll usually see like 15, 20 years on, on, you know, something else that you have on your land. Right. So, so what does that look like when somebody is thinking about this? Yeah. So ev we, we do need to back up and say that this is all going to, how this is all run past my services. Once I give you a, a an opinion of value report, this is really going to be up to your CPA, how they want to apply this to your situation. Most CPAs that I have done work with on this, they seem to they seem to be of the opinion that they want to try to take it all in one year. Who wouldn't, right? You you want to you want to take a hit against your income as much as you possibly can. So most CPAs will try to expense this over on one one year. There are some other guidance out there which I see nothing wrong with as well. It does spread your risk out a little bit, I think, is this next approach. Some CPAs are recommending a uh, taking 60% the first year, 30% the second year, and then 10% in that third year. So that's another approach. Those are two, I think, of the kind of common approaches that, that CPAs are taking for this. Right. But either way, we're talking full deduction at least by year four, right? As far as this whole thing goes. Generally, yes. Typically, but it, and again, with land, we can't ever, we can never say a definite, it's always situational, right? So you always have to throw those disclaimers on there because eventually someone's going to be like, well, you said it would be four years. Now they're saying five, you know. Right, exactly. And, and in full disclosure, you know, I think we have to, I need to say that, you know, I am neither a tax or financial or legal <laughs> professional. Yeah. I am an agronomist. I'm a certified crop advisor with the American Society of Agronomy, but that does not uh, allow me to make legal professional or tax advice. So you should seek that, that professional advice out. I like yeah. to say, if you have questions, find somebody smarter. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's a lot of people smarter than me. <laughs> me. That's, that's my usual default with anybody. Yeah. Um, so, so tell me about, and, and just, you know, to, to lay this out too, cause we're talking about the, the median, you know, sort of fertility requirements or, or mm -hmm. minimum, minimum fertility requirements for production. 
somebody falls below those requirements, then deduction is just not a possibility, right? I just wanted to say it just to get it out. Right, right. This is I that is a good point because there were some questions in the webinar about that. And I think people should check out the webinar once it is is up. Maybe maybe you could put a, a in the show notes or something. Yeah, yeah. Really dig in. But yeah, if the if the soil test indicates that there is no excess fertility above what the, the state is claiming or is issuing as optimal there we just don't go any further there's there's nothing there um and there's and there's no there's no need to report that to anybody either it's just you know we i look at the soil test i say there's nothing here to work with i'm sorry better luck next time yep so if if a landowner owner is is to pursue this mm-hmm. what sort of what are the costs associated with like, you know, what's a typical cost? And, and if that's, if that, I'm going to ask the question so you can deny me because it's going to be situational. So you can bring that up too, because it, you know, depending on size of land and stuff like that, you might have different cost basis, but just so somebody understands a range that they might look at to get the soil testing and get the analysis and get the report. And then what's sort of the ROI on that? What are they looking to, to save on their deduction on a, let's say by acre, um, you know, what, what's typical or is there nothing typical? Yeah, I think I'm, that's a great question. So I kind of do my, my services two different ways. So the first way would be if you, again, if you have a soil testing company, you know, like, and trust great. Now we, I play nice with everybody. You have that company do the testing for you. Uh, again, it's going to come back to, they need to be a reputable. They need to be a, a reputable laboratory, working with a reputable laboratory, practicing sound agronomic principles, all the good stuff. Okay. So you send me your results. I conduct the report based off those results. I charge $10 per acre for that service. If you need me to take care of everything, and this is where the situational piece comes in, if you're in the Midwest, I would I would be very comfortable telling you that I charge $20 per acre for the entire service, sample collection, testing, running the analysis, and conducting the report, $20 per acre. Outside of the Midwestern region, again, happy to take care of you. But that, that those numbers may vary a little bit because I'll have to coordinate a contractor. So as far as, yeah, as far as return goes, there is not a typical number, but I will say that if a farm has been well taken care of from a fertility perspective, the, the previous owner was, was even somewhat diligent in, in applying fertilizers or manures and kept the, the the fertility up. It's generally not very hard for me to find between two and five hundred dollars per acre in in value, in excess value. That can be. I've done. That can be depreciated, but potentially depreciated. Yes. Um, I've done a few reports that have been in the one thousand dollar per acre range. 
And I just did one. This is this is extremely rare. This was a uh, this was from a dairy farm actually, where they had been applying manure for many many years. Uh, the value was about three thousand dollars per acre on that oh. one. Yeah, so <laughs> that's one that's a little risky because it could it could throw some flags. But the vast majority of the reports that I conduct, and I've conducted quite a few now uh they fall in that two to five hundred dollar range pretty pretty consistently so this is and and that's sort of the sticking point right is the the previous owner like you you were talking about a dairy farm and they're they're spreading manure so they're just constantly just supplying new nutrients to the ground so it's it's the case where like if the previous owners were really taking care of fertilizing and keeping the the, the soil strong then you get that advantage when you buy. Exactly. Yeah. And, and a lot of people have said, well, that's double dipping. And I say, no, it's not because the, the previous owner has taken advantage of expensing those items out during their ownership. And you are getting to take advantage of that on your side as part of the purchase, because you're purchasing an asset just like in the commercial world, there's um, the cost segregation studies. You know, if a building has been maintained and and added to uh, things that are adding value to that building, you buy that, you can appreciate that. This is the same. This is the exact same idea, very similar idea, where you are you are buying an asset, and the government wants to. Uh, that's the incentive. The government incentivizes people to create these economic, they, they'll incentivize you to do economic things. And this is one of those pieces. Right, right. So is there any kind of risk along the way where you buy, you get the soil study done, you get your report, you go in, you file for your depreciation. And is there a, a risk of retesting after say you purchased and done this and then sort of dropped more fertilizer on it? Um, so I think the, the risk there is that it's, this is really a snapshot in time of, of your, your time of purchase. So at the time of purchase, this is what the soil test indicated was there from a nutrient perspective. And while that will change over the years as crops are taken off the field, things of that nature, I really, I really couldn't see a situation where uh, a government entity would come in and say, Oh, we're going to conduct our own testing to verify this. It's just, uh, I think that's a little bit more effort than they will probably want to put forth. <laughs> Which makes sense. I was yeah. just curious about that because it was one of those like, well, yeah, I got my soil test done and then I added fertilizer and they came back mm -hmm. and want to double check my soil. I think that's probably why you want to use a reputable testing company in the first place, right? To Absolutely. where you have like a very detailed report. It's targeted towards this type of deduction, um, you know, th that sort of thing. Um, so this this general depreciation is available nationwide, correct? To my understanding, yes. This, Anything is, a federal, this is a federal piece of the code. Yep. 
So this is something that everybody can and should be taking advantage of when they when they buy it. What's the statute of limitations that constitutes a new buyer of property? Can you own it for a couple of years and then get it tested, or how how does that work? So I've 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 heard a few different uh, perspectives on that. So the most important piece is having a soil test as close to the time of purchase as possible. And I have heard some CPAs say that they'd be willing to go back 20 years and do this. Oh my. Okay. That's, that is, um, I don't know. I think that's a little dangerous, but if a CPA is willing to put their name on it, then, then all, you know, let's, let's go for it. So I think, I think, I think you have to do some risk acknowledgement at that point. Like you yeah, will do it, but <laughs> exactly. That's just, uh, that's, Again, if they want to do it, let's go for it. So I think really most of uh, most of the guidance I've received from from CPAs is they three years going back in history, three years is 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 pretty safe. And if you don't have a soil test, though, from that time, I, there's just nothing that we're going to be able to do, unfortunately, though. I got so. you. So, so what are the risks if somebody does this? And, and I mean, they're pretty straightforward, but like what, what, what could, as somebody is assessing this, like, okay, could I do this? Um, what, what sort of risks could they incur? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, audits one, I think the, probably the less scary part is that the IRS just says, no, we don't accept that. So you incur my fees, which are an expense. So that's that's okay. You and you incur my fees and your and your CPA fees for that time that they spent on it. So those from my perspective, those are the main the main risks involved. Which is fairly minimal. I mean, nobody wants to go through an audit, but if it's part of the tax code, then it kind of works with it. Like that's, it's going to be fine. It's right. the, the heaviest variable on the entire thing is going to be what you are able to deduct per acre, right? Because it just depends. And it yes. just depends on how it stacks up and it depends on your the fertility of your soil, right? Mm -hmm. Do you yeah. see, do you measure it out as a whole when you do this? Like, are there hot spots? Like one area of the soil is really great and then the other area is junk. Do you work an average together or do you split up the property? How how does how does it work with variances on the property? Mm -hmm. So it is currently an average. We uh, we aren't seeing any reason to geospatially spread this out. So it, uh, it is an average. And we are we are testing on a grid pattern. Generally, I want to see a grid pattern for the testing. And as long as the grid pattern that's used is 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 agronomically sound, there's there's not a lot of concern there either. Mm -hmm. What's the timeline typically from let's let's say engaging you to getting results? Mm -hmm. So if if you have a soil test already and you send it to me. Uh, it takes me not very much time at all to look at the test and say, yes, we have something to work with, or no, we don't have anything to work with. I can get a report in that scenario turned around in less than a week. Very quick. If you need us to do the soil testing, 
uh, and the whole the whole service, the soil testing, conducting report. That's probably a two to three week turnaround time on that. Okay, so it's two to three weeks. Um, the actual testing itself in a grid pattern is that does, is that a bulk of the time, or how long are they? How long are you typically on site when it happens to, for one of these jobs? Sure. So a a site visit, depending on the acres, it, it won't take very long. Uh, my crew and I, we can get across in our in our normal soil testing kind of regimen. We can get across a thousand acres a day. Okay. So, yeah, not not very long, especially if it's an eighty or something. An eighty will take us an like half hour, you know. But there's drive time and all those things to consider. So, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's quick. It can be very quick. It is. It is. So available for any buyer. Yep. It's a deduction, and it can save people a lot of money. It seems pretty straightforward. I I, I think this is a useful tool for pretty much any land buyer out there. Sure. Yeah. And I think the, I guess the other, this isn't a risk. I would, I would not classify this as a risk, but it is a consideration, something that people need to think about when they are planning out what they want to do with their land on a, on a long-term timeline. So the IRS will want to recapture what you've depreciated at the end, end of the game. And by end of the game, I mean, you sell the property because this is going to hit your basis on the front end. This is so if you buy a piece of land for $10,000 per acre, we determine that there's $500 per acre in excess fertility value that knocks your basis in the property back to $9,500 per acre. At the end, when you go to sell the property, the IRS is going to say, hey, remember that? depreciation that you took we're glad that you took it but now that you're selling this property we want our little cut of that as well so there is that piece of it so is it would you classify it more as a tax deferment well yeah and that's that's kind of what i was going to roll into next is okay okay most of the most of the the people buying farmland outside of say your institutional investors uh so the number one owner operator so farmers that are buying land generally and and, and regular just maybe investors that are interested in farmland but they don't they're not in the institutional perspective side of things they generally aren't going to be selling their their farmland in their lifetime if they sell it most of the time they are seeking a 1031 exchange and so this would roll perfectly into a 1031 exchange because you get those tax advantages from the irs section 180 and you kick that can down the road when you roll that over on a 1031. So you never, you never get those that recapture on the 1031. So that's the vast majority of my clients, again, are owner operator farmers and, and investors, and, and that's their plan. So if you need to take into consideration what your exit strategy is on a farm, if you're buying a farm, to quote unquote fix and flip in a two year, three year time frame, 
I don't know if this is, you need to determine if this makes sense to do or not. Uh, but if you are buying for your farm operation or for a long-term investment, it's an, it's an absolute no brainer. That, that I, I, I had not thought of it on that terms in terms of, of the, the flipping scenario, but you're exactly right. That would mean there wouldn't be any reason to do something like that in this situation, but if it's a buy and hold and then 1031, that would make this make excellent sense. And so it's one of those, you need to have good professionals around you that can give you good advice that can help you form a plan instead of just buying land. Absolutely. Yeah. I, before, even before contacting me, I should have this as step number one on my, my information before contacting me, but after buying your parcel of land, you need to talk to your CPA, whether or not this is, whether or not this is going to make sense for you. And I have, I have a network of CPAs that I work with that are kind of specializing in this, in agricultural accounting services, but they're very in tune with IRS section 180 that I am happy to make recommendations for folks. I was going to say that that even falls before finding or talking to your accountant is to make sure your CPA knows agriculture. <laughs> like that's step one is find that because you can talk to a CPA. That doesn't mean they know anything about this code. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's, there's a few steps in there and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people that are land buyers are going to already have that, but there's a chance that somebody's new to market in, in land. Right. And the ins and outs of these kind of things, you know, it's easy to make mistakes. Right. Yes. And that's, that's what we're trying to do to avoid. And that's why I'm here to help gr- uh, cross the T's and dot the I's for my clients. Excellent. Well, Alec, I can't thank you enough for the conversation, man. I, I've listened this is the second time today. I've listened to you talk about this topic and it's still interesting. And I still, it's there. I mean, I could sure I could dig in for longer. Um, want to give you a chance to plug your company and how to get a hold of you. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Yes. So agricultural soil management, ASM, we are on, LinkedIn, Facebook, we do have a website, asmlabs.net. We are the experts in soil testing and agronomic consultation. We work with everybody, farmers, land investors, institutional investors in fertility diligence is what we're billing ourselves at. We're, we are no longer a soil testing company we are a fertility diligence company. So check us out on, again, LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, and our website. Excellent. Love to help you out. Alec, appreciate your time and your expertise, sir. Thanks, Mac. Appreciate your time too. This concludes episode number 62 for the National Land Realty Podcast, discussing IRS tax code 180 with owner of Agricultural Soil Management, Alec Bean. You can learn more about land ownership and the buying and selling of land at nationalland.com.